You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. Well, Jeff, not so Jeff, well, Jeff. (laughs) So we have our first guest in this AI series, and I'm excited to have her back. It's Michelle Swan from Tercera. Michelle, is this is her second time on the show, and we're really excited to have her on. Um, Recently, Tercera released the Tercera 30, the 2023 Tercera 30, and embedded in that was some some of their latest research on how uh, IT services firms are are using AI internally and externally. So we're going to talk about that and just a whole bunch of other stuff. So um, welcome, Mich- <laughs> welcome, Michelle. What is going on today? Welcome, Michelle. Hey, hey, Jason, Thanks for coming maybe, back. Yes. Given that this is her second time here, yeah. and you just struggle every episode, <laughs> maybe, maybe she could become my co-host. Michelle, Michelle should? Oh, yeah. He's giving up your job, Jason. I, well, you know, I... I <laughs> I can't argue with that intro. I mean, I think I, I, I mean, literally the, the, the word is AI and Michelle. These are very basic words that were not coming out of my mouth today. So, you know, I can't, I can't argue. Well, I'm happy to be back. Thanks for having me on again. All right. So why don't you give us a quick intro for anyone who didn't uh, hear your first, your first uh, visit. Uh, tell us about you. Tell us about Tercera real quick. And then we're going to jump into this world of artificial intelligence. I'll, I'll use the full phrase. It's a lot easier for me, apparently. It is. Sometimes those two vowels are hard. Um, Yeah, so um, Michelle Swan, I'm a partner at Tercera, as you mentioned. So Tercera is a growth equity uh, firm, which is basically an investment firm that specializes in growth stage companies. Um, I think that we're a relatively new firm. We've been around for almost four years now. Um, I think we were maybe even in our second year when we joined the first time around. Um, And I think the thing that's interesting about Tercera is that we specialize in IT professional services, which is a pretty narrow niche for most investment firms um, who have Mm -hmm. usually a broader purview on it, which is kind of surprising given that IT services is a trillion dollar industry and there's thousands of firms out there that could use some capital. Um, But I think it makes us unique. Um, The other thing that is a little bit unique about my background in an investment firm is that I actually have a background in the go-to-market side. Um, So I ran marketing, customer experience, communications at firms, both kind of software firms as well as IT services. Um, So, But in my role, I lead our thought leadership, our advisor community, along with a couple of other partners and, um, and our investments. I actually think your your niche is even a little tighter than you even described in that the firms that you work with are primarily embedded in uh, our channel partners to very specific leading ISVs. And uh, so it's even more narrow than you than you give it credit to some extent. Would you agree or am I wrong? No, I uh, know I'd agree. It's definitely narrower than that. And I would say we're over the last few years, we've expanded a little bit. So we primarily focus on the Tercera 30, which is basically the 30 cloud software ecosystems that we believe hold the greatest potential for services partners. These are companies like <clears throat> SAP, Salesforce, um, ServiceNow, some of the big ones, and then a lot of the up and coming ones like Databricks, Commerce Tools, Snowflake, um, you know, a lot of a lot of these ecosystems. It's been interesting though, because I feel like over the last couple years, um, 
a lot of these channel partners have expanded into other partnerships. Um, yeah. So they tend to have a primary one, but there's um, usually two or three that follow. Yeah, you and I talked about that a lot earlier in the year, how um, firms that were single channel partners really needed to start looking at, at multiple multiple channel relationships for a whole host of reasons, which we could, that's probably a whole podcast in and of itself. Um, but Yeah, especially if they hit a certain scale um, and they need yeah. to keep growing beyond that. Um, you know what's yeah, interesting? I mean, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, please. I was going to say that um, we talked about um, Michelle being on the podcast earlier. If you recall, the subject matter of that podcast was creating value. To me, it just seems like, you know, the perfect segue into, you know, the conversations on AI and how to create value. So I, I'm beginning to see this theme with you. Um, <laughs> that I create value? I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you create tons of value. That's you know, the focus, right? Well, what, what I was just thinking, as you said, about creating value. Was that what I was thinking was that, you know, I wonder if a traditional IT services firm gets, a, I'm making these numbers up, Michelle, so you can laugh at me. It gets a 5X valuation, but the AI infused firm gets a 12X one right now. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think maybe those numbers are maybe a little tick higher than I would say <laughs> in a typical services valuation. But I do think that those services firms that have figured out or will figure out how to use AI within their business are going to see a much higher valuation. Um, yeah. Are they going to see software valuations? We just had this debate a couple of weeks ago internally. Probably not, but maybe. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah. Well, let's 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 pivot into that because, you know, uh, Tercera has published a number of of different pieces on, you know, your thinking around artificial intelligence and and what firms should be thinking about right now. So, I'd like for you and, and I think you know, in, in our pre-call, you you sort of crystallized a pretty nice point of view on 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 how how you're looking at this right now for for professional services firms. So, Maybe just walk us through that. Kind of tell us how Terracera is looking at this world of artificial intelligence right now for, for firms. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing is that we just think that AI, generative AI and AI, because they are different things, um, are is going to fundamentally change IT professional services. Professional services overall, um, you know, any knowledge-based industry, but I think it's going to have a a pretty specific impact on IT professional services. When it's going to have the biggest impact, we're not sure. Is that six months? Is it six years from now? But I think we look at it a lot like we did with cloud computing, and everybody has their analogy for AI. Um, you know, it's the iPhone moment. It's the internet moment when you know the internet was introduced. I think we look at it very similar to when cloud computing was introduced, partly because that's, you know, kind of where we grew up was in that era. Um, and, you know, cloud computing, when it was introduced, had a fundamental impact on how people worked, um, where they accessed their applications from, how IT, um, you know, how they would spin up applications. They didn't need to manage servers anymore, procure a bunch of stuff instead of it taking months to actually create an application. They could do it in minutes. Um, so it, it just fundamentally changed the way companies operate and, and the services firms, how they uh, worked with those companies as well. So, you know, it didn't take months to, to implement something. It could take weeks um, or, or 
it used to take years in some cases. And I think, you know, AI is just going to have that kind of impact on professional services, on the customers who, who use it. Um, and I think that, you know, the people who can figure out how to adapt in that new world are the ones that are, that are going to win. I think the other thing that we, uh, perspective that we have is that there's this kind of spectrum of AI adoption and a spectrum of AI perception. Some people are, you know, they look at it like the doomsday, the world's going to come to an end, the robots are going to take over. And then you've got on the flip side, the techno optimists, you know, the people like Andreessen, Mark Andreessen, who, you know, it's all about like the opportunity that it creates. I think like most things, most people are somewhere in the middle um, but it's really important for IT service firms to really understand where their employees are at, where their strategy is, and then also where their customers and their partners are at. Um, so I think that's a little bit of our point of view is that it's a matter of, uh, you know, it's not a matter of if it's going to disrupt things, it's when. Um, and it's a huge opportunity for firms, but they also have to think about the risks. Is it the fourth wave of the cloud? We've had that debate. Um, I think the cloud is an enabler. Okay. I don't think that AI could have taken off without cloud computing. It's well, okay. I, I don't want to say that. Okay, so let's let's spin into this. So um, the research that Terracera did on the Terracera thirty, uh, well, I, I can talk a little bit about it, and I'll, at least I'll, I'll lead you into it. Um, I think we sur you surveyed maybe 50, 60 IT services firms from your 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 network and what the, one of the, the one of the, tr the the sections of questioning was about their you know how they were using artificial intelligence and so i want to pull one of the questions was um, about how firms see it as how critical they see it to their business strategy and one of the interesting thing you pointed out in one of your articles that i really liked was that the scale was 0 to 10 and um, I think 54% of firms saw it as seven or above. So probably I would describe that as very critical to their strategy. But when you sliced off the fastest growing firms, it was 73%. So almost 20% higher. So not necessarily causation, but correlation, right? This idea that the firms that are growing fastest right now have a mindset that AI is much more critical to their business going forward um, than their peers. Um, do you want to comment on that at all? I, I want to I dig into some of the use cases, but but anything else that, from that data set that jumped out to you that you're less like, oh, th this is really important for people to hear? No, I mean, I don't know if there's much more data to add on that other than, I mean, it makes sense. You know, it's the companies that are the most forward looking that are thinking through the kind of advanced use cases. Those tend to be the ones that get selected the most and see a lot of the growth. Um out there, but I mean, I think it shows that you have to be thinking about this. And if you look at, you know, we spend a lot of time analyzing, we talked about this earlier, analyzing all the earnings reports for all the big global systems integrators that are public. Um, and the demand that they're seeing for AI work, advisory work, proof of concepts, the data work that is behind this, I mean, it's just the demand is pretty outstanding and it's only going to increase. Yeah, I think in that that um, I'm looking for. I don't. I don't have the data. I was looking for your report on that. Um, in in that research, you asked about uses and you asked about um, how, how firms were using AI and whether they were using it for internal purposes and external purposes. Purposes. So I was hoping just to spend some time 
talking about some of the different use cases that you're seeing, um, you know, uh, across, across your, your, your network. So yeah, that wasn't really a question. (laughs) (laughs) I think I get where you're going. Um, so there's, I mean, I would say there's three different areas if we had to categorize it. Um, and that's the first one is just application of AI internally. You know, how are you using it for your own marketing to develop your RFPs, your own contracts, um, QA, developing code, things like that. Um, the second thing is how you're using it to assist in delivery to clients um, in the work that you do internally on behalf of clients. And then the third area is actually going and helping clients do it on their own. So, you know, building their own large language models, building applications that leverage AI in different ways, things like that. Um, I would say the first two is where most of the companies that we work with are focused. I think there's some proof of concepts and some areas with customers that are seeing a lot more adoption, especially when it comes to like call centers, how do you make agents more productive, customer experience, things like that. You're seeing a lot of people invest in there. Um, but most of the firms that we work with, that we talk with, are focused on how do you use AI internally, and then how do you use it to make your delivery team more productive, um, move faster, um, see results faster. And I can give you some examples if that's helpful. Yeah, that, that would that'd be fabulous. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the big things we're seeing both with the GSIs and with some of the smaller firms that we work with, which is interesting because, I mean, think about the different and difference in budgets. You've got Accenture that's yeah. like $2 billion or $3 billion into AI. And then you've got, you know, some of these small, you know, $30 million mid-sized firms that are making pretty big investments in AI as well. Um but they're building out these knowledge bases internally where they're feeding all of their documentation that they've developed over the last however many years into these knowledge bases. And they're creating these co-pilots that are helping the delivery teams just access data faster, see repeated patterns. It's kind of like the accelerators of the past, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's content case studies, it's business use cases, it's documentation, it's change management presentations. Um, and they're creating almost like their own kind of, you know, uh, chat GPT based on their own, um, their own knowledge. Data. base. Yeah. And, and they're building yeah. it in the best ones are building it in ways that are smart, where they still own the data, the proprietary data which I think is, you know, an important nuance for a lot of these services firms because they have, you know, they've got a lot of client data internally. And so they've got to be careful how they use it. Yeah, it's interesting. I was thinking when you told told me that one of my um, one of my good friends coming out of college in the mid-90s, by the way, a long time ago, uh, took a job at, at what was Anderson Consulting, which of course became Accenture. And even in the mid-90s, they had a very robust knowledge management platform inside that organization so that they could query and find people and talent and skills and whatever it was. Um, And so you think about, like, that's a super high priority piece of the business model for these large firms. So it just makes a ton of sense to me that that's maybe the first place they went. Like, oh, my gosh, this could open up our our repository of information much more deeply because, you know, you think about how surface level it probably was in the mid nineties. I have no idea, but I'm guessing it was all hand entered and it was all very simple structures, right? Because you couldn't capture that much information and organize it and make any sense of it back then. 
Um, yeah. It, and it's yeah. going to be interesting because I feel like so many of these firms and call centers kind of fall in this category. They've spent so much money building these internal knowledge bases and the way that they work is is going to change with AI. And so it, it's interesting to see how people are adapting. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. The other interesting thing I think you shared is a lot of firms using it for code. what what do you what are you seeing them do there? I mean, any detail there, any nuance there you can share? I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, there's some great stats out there, and just in how how many developers are using AI tools as a start, and I think that's what we're we're just seeing. You know, it's going to get it's going to get companies fifty per, or people fifty percent of the way there on things. You're never going to write a full thought leadership piece a hundred percent on you know, using AI, you're going to have to use it as a start, maybe for research or for the outline or first drafter, and then you have to put your own flavor on it. I would say the same for code. There's so much that's repeated when it comes to code development there. And it's all in GitHub and these repositories where it's very easy to access. And so they're just using it as a, as a way to get started. Yeah, one of the more interesting things I saw um, or I've heard firms doing is 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 this notion of trying to upgrade um, legacy code. You know, so this stuff that's like just hanging out there that's been sitting there. I never forget it was probably oh seven oh eight, so not not that long ago, fifteen years ago. Um, I did a client tour. We were working with this logistics company, and so they took me to one of their one of their call centers, basically. And these these people were literally running on Windows ninety five green screens with no mouses, like you know, like like with arrows. I was like, oh my god! And they were showing it, and they were really excited about it. They're really proud of of what they built and how it worked. And so I'm sure they've. I, I say I'm sure they've upgraded it, but I'm not so sure. I mean, you, we've all been at the airline, and you look over the desk and what they're doing, and you think, oh my god! Like, what are you doing over there? Like, what? Seven thousand keystrokes for you know for three tasks. So. Um, Anyway, I think that's a really interesting use case as well. So, um, Jeff, what 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 am I missing here in, in this kind of discussion? I'm sorry. I like where you're going. Let's let's keep going in this direction. Okay. Um, call centers. So so that that in your research, that was the one thing that they, the thing that jumped up to to me on the external side. You know that 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 what firms are mostly getting hired for. By clients, as it relates to AI, is to improve call center customer experience. What's going on there? Like, what what, what do you what do you opine is the goal um, in some of this? Yeah, I mean, I wonder if part of it was who responded to the survey. So you know, you've got yeah. fifty people who responded, and the vast majority—not vast majority, but uh, the number one partner for most of those was Salesforce. And so I think part of it might be a little bit of self-selection in um, of who answered that. But even when you look at the GSIs and some of the use cases that they're reporting out on, it is a lot of call centers. Um, And I think that's, it's a knowledge based business and they have a lot of documentation of process of systems, things that are already stored in there. So I feel like the, 
they have the beginning part of it. Um, whereas, you know, for some of these other more advanced use cases, like it, the the system modernization, the data modernization is going to, there's is a lot of intense work that needs to happen there. And so it's a little bit harder to jump into some of those examples, whereas in call centers, you have a lot of that data already there and ready and waiting to be used. And I think the agents know how to use some of those systems too to find answers to things quicker. And there's, you know, very clear KPIs on productivity. So I, I just feel like it's it's like a use case ready and waiting. I think that's yeah. probably part of why we're seeing that. The data is um, there, the system's there. It was probably the first function to go to to be distributed virtually, put in the cloud and stuck in people's homes, right? It was the first part of the business that did that, I would guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean it's even interesting too to see the um the different ISVs, you know, the different software vendors that are really pushing into AI features and AI enabling their platforms, it seems like there's a natural uh, use case around sales and marketing too, um, which I, I mean, I know you guys have talked quite a bit yeah. about too, but I think uh, I think you're seeing some trends there too. Well, that seems to be the first place everybody went was, you know, how can I can I how can I write all my sales and marketing content with this thing? Can I can I can I spit out blogs that I don't want to write? Can I spit out Proposal responses that I don't want to write, um, and I think that's what that's where everyone's t- t- testing, trying to figure it out, or, or seeing what they can and can't do, what the limitations are. So, um, let's so pivot a little happened. bit. Go ahead, is you, that go ahead, because um, those functions are seen as low value but high cost, and mm. you know the application of AI out of the gate is cost cutting and productivity. Um, My sense is, and Michelle, I'd love to get your thoughts on this as along your continuum, you know, the, the excitement versus the dystopia. um, There's a lot of talk about AI, but firms just aren't, or I should say firms and their clients just aren't ready for it yet. Um, We kind of alluded to the call center and there was nice, clean data and process there. That data is probably internal. It's owned. It's not going outside. So you don't have a lot of the complications around privacy and regulatory that you might if you go out to other systems. I'd be curious to to get your thoughts on is that the low hanging fruit for firms right now is thinking through that AI readiness, Mm. you know, very much like moving to the cloud. You couldn't just go to the cloud. There was a lot of technology and infrastructure that needed to evolve and, and change before you got to the true power of the cloud. I'm wondering if, if that's kind of where your metaphor and, and thinking is coming from it to Sarah as well. I hadn't really thought about it, but yeah, I mean, I think it's very similar and it, you know, the, the hard thing with AI has a lot more emotion tied to it than the move to the cloud does. Right. Because yeah. of all the things that we read, the drama um, that we read about every day. Um, but yeah, I think that that is where companies are starting is where th- when they have things that are, 
owned internally where there's not as much risk around it, even when, I mean, you have to think about even the systems that a lot of these companies use, you know, the financial systems, the especially the CRM systems, you got to think through the privacy and the security around yeah. opening up all that data and feeding it through, um, which is why I think it's such a huge opportunity for services firms right now, because enterprises are scared. They don't know how to use it. They don't know how to apply it. They almost don't even know where to start. And everybody is looking for the experts in AI, both from a strategy perspective, a readiness perspective. How do we, you know, do we turn these features on in the systems that we have? Do we keep them off? Um, I mean, services, it's like a gold rush for services firms that understand how all this works. I think the firms that know the nuances of it are probably few and far between now, but I think we're going to see a whole lot more of them in the next few years. Well, one of the th interesting things, maybe you have the data, I'm, I'm looking for it, um, in your research was you asked the people that responded about um, who they saw as leaders in AI right now from a software perspective and who they they think will lead in the future. And there was a pretty good, con pretty, pretty sharp contrast on that. Um, I'm looking for the data, but if you happen to have it off the top of your head, feel free to jump right in. I don't have the specific numbers, but there's one uh, piece of it that I find fascinating, especially um, given some of the, the recent events um, with OpenAI is we asked them, what are the top three vendors that you think are leading AI right now? And OpenAI was far and away the leader. Um, and I think we, I can't remember when we did the survey, but I think it was like late summer, um, which made sense. You know, it was all about chat GPT. Um, and the other two were, I believe, Microsoft and Google, I think were yep. the other two. And then we asked them in five years, who do you think is going to be the far and away leader? And it was really interesting. Very few, like OpenAI saw the greatest decrease in it. Um, and just watching even like the Microsoft AI thing play out with the Sam Altman um, stuff and just how Microsoft is, you know, kind of moving forward. I think it, Google in the next five years was, was seen as the number one leader. And then I think yeah. it was Microsoft and AWS. Um, yeah. so I think, I, I, and I, I think people are looking at who's going to own the data as well. So, um, Snowflake, Databricks, they were also, they also saw a lot of movement as well. Um, so it's going to change. I mean, think about how much has changed in the last year and now fast forward that another few yeah if you go back to last december i mean i would bet that you know a good you know very few people even knew what generative ai was right i mean yeah. it was like there was a very small percentage of people outside of you know it services firms and, and software companies that would if you asked them what that was they would have absolutely no idea yeah. um and how quickly it's it's accelerated in terms of interest and knowledge and whatever else um um, what, what, one thing I wanted to, to, to cover before we run out of time is, uh, Jeff, you actually brought this up in the pre-call, um, this idea of when we think of AI, we naturally think of new, fresh, disruptive, disruptive AI products, chat GPT, um, Jasper, MidJourney, whatever it is. But a lot of what's really going on is AI getting folded into existing products. I wanted you just to kind of just offer some thoughts on that what you're seeing and 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 even if you have any 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 software companies from the tercera 30 or wherever else that you see ai as uh, they're, they're they're ahead of the curve 
and sort of that integration into their existing platforms and what that means. Yeah, it's interesting that of the Tercera 30, every single one of those companies had something to say about AI because they have to. I mean, their boards yeah, are demanding it, right. the shareholders are demanding yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and I would say some are further along on that spectrum than others. You've got some that are just, you know, they're talking about how important it is and that they're, you know, they're doing a little bit of thought leadership here and there, but they're not making huge strides in the in the product. Um, and then you've got companies that are completely repositioning themselves as AI companies um, and putting themselves kind of front and center of that. And, you know, ServiceNow is one example. I think that's kind of interesting. You wouldn't think about them as really kind of AI centric, but when you look at what their platform enables and how it basically optimizes processes, which is, an, you know, a big piece of what AI can, you know, help with, I think they're one that's an interesting one to watch. I mean, obviously Salesforce and the CRM vendors, HubSpot, um, they're all in on AI with the features um, that they're implementing some faster than others. It'll be interesting to see which one of those are truly game changing and which ones are, I don't want to say lipstick on a pig, but, um, you know, repositioning of existing um, features. And then there's some that are, you know, just front and center, like Snowflake and Databricks, I mentioned, you know, they're, I mean, they're right in the sweet spot of, and the hyperscalers as well, um, right in the sweet spot of you know, where people are going to have to put their data. And then there were um, a number of vendors within the Tercera 30 that are really AI specific, like OpenAI was in there. Cohere was one of the, our ones to watch. NVIDIA, obviously. It will be really fascinating to me to see how those companies use their partner ecosystem, because um, I think some are more nascent than others. Are more, you say abusive? Not nascent. <laughs> I'm nascent. I thought you said abusive. I was like, oh my gosh. Tell, tell me more about that. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb here. And I, and I, I suspect what happens um, to these companies is akin to the dot-com phenomenon that we all live through with you know, the pure play dot coms, you know, and their valuations shooting to uh, the stratosphere in the brick and mortar, you know, dinosaurs left behind. Um, and this changes everything that it, you know, maybe we're out there promoting, as you said about service now, you know, it, it's, it's AI. And my sense is that it just gets folded into all the software. Um, and, and I wonder, I'd love to get your thoughts. Is there a pure play AI type of firm? It, I, I don't know that that makes sense if it's not couched in some kind of context of purpose. You mean like a driven AI software of some kind, but yeah, I could like be a, wrong. Like an AI advisory firm that, that just that, that only consults around AI. Well, uh, I'm I'm talking tool. I, I see AI as a tool. Yeah. Um, I mean, to me, AI is just software. Am I wrong? Um, I think a it's a little bit of a 
mindset change too. So yes, it is a tool, a hundred percent. But I think how you use it and things like that is makes it a little bit broader. Mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. you're right though, that there are going to be, I think G2 put out a report at the end of this year that um, said something about, I think 643 new AI specific products were introduced in the last year. 600 and f- I mean, some of those are features for yeah. sure instead of products. Um, but then OpenAI came out and at one of their developer days and announced that they're building a bunch of stuff that wiped out probably half of those products um, because, you know, they just built it in. Right. And I think that's going to be maybe what's different in AI than it was in cloud is that I think AI is going to favor the bigger companies. It's going to favor the companies that got big pocketbooks. They control the data. They can make huge investments because these it's expensive. You know, we all read those stories. Um, whereas cloud, it was a little bit more of the upstarts that that were able to get in there. Um, so I do think you're going to see a lot of consolidation. Cloud democratized the internet and AI is going to... Monopolize? <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> There's your headline for the podcast. There we go. We're on the dystopian side of the spectrum now. Oh, boy. Okay. All right. So we're running out of time. I, I, Michelle, what, what do you think um, listeners should be doing right now as it relates to AI? You know, what, what are your three or four or five or whatever it is recommendations? What, what should be, you know, if you're the leader of a professional services firm, what should be your, your action items for, you know, this current time period, you know, Q4 of 23, Q1 of 24. Yeah. I mean, they're not rocket science. I think it's anytime there's a big new change <clears throat> on the horizon. I think the first thing is to assign an owner to it, put someone in charge of figuring out what the AI strategy is. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting. We kind of pushed all our portfolio companies to do this and then when you see who is in charge of all of the, you know, the different AI strategies, it's very clear where they're leaning in on AI. You know, if it's the CTO, CIO, it's clear where that is. If it's the chief customer officer, chief strategy officer, it's something else. If it's the CEO, then you know it's really important. Um, so I would say that's the first one is kind of yeah. an owner for it. Second one is... Um, come up with your strategy, um, have a strategy for one. I think you can experiment and that's really important, but overall, like what's your one year, two year, three year strategy. Um, even if it's just bullet points on one piece of paper that you can share with the broader company, with your investors, with your board, um, just to start thinking about the change that it's going to have in your business and where you want to make those investments and how much investment you want to make in those areas. Um, it's amazing to me how many people don't have a strategy. They just have a couple projects. And then um, I think the third one is really just organizational readiness. And, you know, Jeff, you talked a little bit about this. I think there's most IT services firms that we talk to, they're really good at figuring out the technology piece, the data stack, because that's where they just naturally gravitate towards. But it's really, you know, your culture and leadership. How are they thinking about it? I mean, this is, it's going to, this is going to fundamentally change the way services companies operate. Your revenue is not going to go alongside of your headcount. 
anymore. Um, you know, it's, it's going to, I think, going to create a lot more efficiencies in the business. Customers are going to expect pricing to look different um, when they've got AI in the mix. There's lots of bigger things to consider. So, you know, how are you thinking about it from a leadership perspective? And then your talent, how are you preparing your employees to um, use AI, but also use it safely? What should they do? What shouldn't they do? And that also goes to kind of the governance and security aspect of it. So there's a whole different spectrum of readiness. Most people are, you know, fairly low on the maturity curve. And I think that's okay, because most companies are, but you have to have a plan for how do you move up the maturity curve. So Michelle, did I hear you say that, I thought this was interesting, clients of these firms are going to expect that the fees they're paying are dropping as a result of AI? I think it's possible. Um, and you look at some of the use cases, if you can automate through AI a certain percentage of a project, like think about how much faster you could do coding. Customers aren't stupid. They're going to figure out that you're doing that faster. And so there's not as many hours. Um, and so they're going to expect a little bit of a discount on projects. Now, I think there's going to be a point in time where you could, you know, we've talked about value-based pricing for I don't even know how long and no one has figured out how to do it. I think now's the time if, you know, something costs $9 million for a giant project and you can deliver it for a million dollars, maybe you charge the client 5 million, (laughs) call it a day. Um, But at some point, customers are going to start seeing prices go down, just like they did with offshoring too. You know, they, they expect it at this point that there's a lower cost labor, you know, AI is lower cost labor. I think, you know, that would be my, based on that whole discussion, if your pricing model is tied to an hourly rate and you're billing based on time, you have to make a radical change fast Mm -hmm. because this is going to completely disrupt that pricing model. Um, So you better start thinking about how you're going to reprice your services um, largely around the value you create and different delivery methods. Um, because it's just, it's not going to, that is not going to be sustainable. Um, yeah. or your bill rate's going to have to go so high that it, that it looks absurd and clients then are going to be like, well, I don't know what? Um, yeah. so I think that's just the reality of it. So I think, I do think that that is a really critical thing for firms to think about over the next 12 months is, you know, if you're really heavily relying on that, you better start thinking about how you're going to break away from that. When, how implications, what the new model looks like, everything. And what um, happens to those people? Too. I think that's the other thing that companies, you know, yeah. need to start thinking about for their employees is, you know, how do you move them up the value back to the value? Look at me coming back full circle, Come back full circle <laughs> value chain. I like it. See, see how she did that, Jason. Um, when, when we get off um, this, this call, Michelle, I'll reach out to you and, and look <laughs> at your schedule and availability. Um, you know, this is like the fourth time he's tried to do this. You see, you know, we bring a great guest on and then he says, you know what? I think I should start this podcast with you, Michelle, instead of Jason. I don't know. You told me you do all the work, though. So I, I don't want to. Exactly. Do that. That's what I'm saying. I do. I do all the value creating work. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> so yeah. you would get no argument from me. He is the talent on the show. Oh, that's not um, true. But, but I'll I'll make sure we have that comment edited out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wise wise words. Okay, let's take it to wrap because I know uh, you, this has been great. I, I really appreciate you you joining us again, uh, giving us your your time. <laughs> And uh, just sharing your perspective on on AI, where it is, where it's headed, and and what firms should be thinking about. So, uh, thank you. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher. <laughs>